Hey, everybody. Welcome to another commission podcast from the Bald Move Network. We are here today thanks to Nikki Powell. She commissioned a podcast uh, for The Deer Hunter, made in 1978 by director and I, I think writer. Let's see. Yeah, writer Michael Cimino. This was an interesting movie. I had not seen it before. Uh, this is the first time and probably the only time that I'll be watching this one. Uh, what did you think of the deer hunter, Aaron? It, I queued this up on a very sunny Sunday afternoon and mm-hmm. it, it's a feel good movie. Really? It destroyed me. <laughs> well, like an hour into the movie, you just kind of want to die. And that feeling doesn't really go away until the end of the movie. And I can't say it was an enjoyable experience. Okay. I don't think it was supposed to. No, it's not supposed to be. And I I don't know where my discomfort with the material begins and where the art of the movie ends. Because it seems like that this is a fairly controversial film among critical circles. That you've got a lot of people. I mean, obviously, I think it's 54 on the AFI Top 100. Uh, it won an Oscar for Best Picture in the year it came out. Some of that, I feel like, is as a direct result of the it being kind of among the first uh, critical views of Vietnam. Yeah. But I've seen so many Vietnam films at this point that it kind of suffers. I don't know. I mean, I the, the, the movie felt like I would love to see like a two hour, 20 minute cut of this film <laughs> okay. because there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't go anywhere. What would you take out specifically? Do you have any, cause I have some things in mind that, I felt were unnecessary or didn't go anywhere. Or... I think you can trim stuff, but stuff like, uh, you know, there's the thing that hangs that, that you can hang your hat on this movie is the performances like oh, Robert yeah. De Niro, Christopher Walken. I think it's Meryl Streep's first professional acting gig. Oh, wow. Okay. And they are all really excellent. And mm-hmm. especially Christopher Walken. And you read some of the, the trivia about how it was made and the experiences on the set. And <laughs> um, But, like, for example, in the early goings, Meryl Streep is just slapped around by her drunken father. Mm-hmm. And like, huh, that's some wanton violence and weird. I wonder where that will go. It doesn't really go anywhere. Nowhere. Also, the I, I felt like the relationship that they had, that, that she had with both Christopher Walken and Robert De Niro... Uh, Nikki and Michael mm-hmm. doesn't really go much of anywhere. I mean, I know that Michael gets together, but I expected there to be some drama around that. No, like, yeah. Oh, Christopher Walken's going to be angry when they come back and Michael's the guy that she goes with or whatever. That never happened. Or Steve, the guy who got his legs blown off. You know, that's his wife. No, no, that's a- Angela not- is his wife. Angela's his wife. Yeah. It's yeah, you're right. It's, it's uh, Christopher Walken's girl, but he, by the time we catch up with him, he's just a burnt out drug addict that doesn't care about shit. Yeah, that that doesn't go anywhere in particular. Um, so I, I don't want to start off on too negative a tone because I do ultimately think that this movie is good. I don't know that it is as great as people are saying. What's interesting uh, is this is the essentially the only hit this guy ever had. After the success hmm. of this film, the movies, the, the, the uh, I think it was United Artists. Okay. Uh, maybe it's Columbia. They essentially wrote him a blank check for his next film, the 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 uh, Heaven's Gate. Okay, which later Not had about a the cult, right? which later had a sequel uh, that was this really controversial. A lot of people died. There's, there's castration, <laughs> Nike tennis shoes, a comet mm-hmm. involved. 
Uh, But it flopped, and I really, really want to see this because I saw a lot of critical takes said seeing Heaven's Gate diminished the deer hunter because a lot, Hmm. uh, you know, if you take away the performances of Walken and Streep and De Niro, and you take away the relative importance of it being a a movie to really take on American dissatisfaction in Vietnam, a lot of the meandering and pacing and editing is is and is laid bare, and it makes it retroactively hard to enjoy The Deer Hunter. So here's the interesting thing uh, that I was thinking during the beginning of this film. I was thinking, man, this starts off an awful lot like The Godfather. Oh, you've yeah. Got this, you've got this big Russian Orthodox wedding, which I want to talk about briefly, this being a Russian Orthodox family here, um, and, and kind of a whole group of just Russian Orthodox people. Uh, I, I felt very much like this is similar to The Godfather, but it's not doing the same, it's not having the same effect on me. It's not doing the same thing for me that no, the Godfather wedding does. Structurally, I feel like that this is almost identical to the Godfather, where you've got the big establishing wedding that really puts us into this, uh, you know, ethnic and cultural minority because uh-huh. this is about Russian, you know, a, a community of American Russian Orthodox. Yeah, uh, so it it works when you're talking about this family and how their cultural values shape the events of the of the movie uh-huh. i didn't feel like any of that was present in this film i felt like the russian orthodox thing was almost out of place because what they're trying to do is they're trying to set up the everyman right they're trying to get you in the headspace of these are regular people in america and as far as i'm aware russian orthodoxy is a minority within america like i don't know why they didn't go with some sort of majority religion like well, catholicism or so something. my thought on the the russian thing is i thought it was and to add another layer of meaning to that you know this was a vietnam's a proxy war that we we're fighting against russia and mm-hmm. i assume because i wasn't really alive or if i was i wasn't really conscious of what the people the country's attitudes well certainly i wasn't alive during vietnam um i was only two years old when this movie came out but i felt like that it was maybe added some background to how patriotic they were. Okay. Like that, you know, I, I imagine how much opportunity they were. I imagine with America, the red scare or? that went through in the fifties and that, that, you know, that this is yeah. kind of like being a German American world war one or world war two, that you're, you're this godless communist sect. Although, you know, again, they're Russian Orthodox. They're very devout. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, they're, you know, their version of devout, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot of dancing and drinking. Which is, you know, there's, there's the Godfather, too. They're very religious Certainly. people that are murdering yeah. and, and whoring mm-hmm. and doing all that stuff. But I, I thought it was that. It's essentially these people are Russian, you know, descendants of Russians, and we're kind of at a Cold War with Russia and what that is like. But hmm. that facet doesn't really go anywhere either. Not in particular, no. And also, when you mesh it with the God Bless America at the end, it seems a little weird. Yeah. That whole ending seems strange to me, but we'll talk about that. But, like, you compare compare and contrast the wedding scene from The Godfather. Yeah. It very slickly introduced you to Michael and his view of his family and what the family is set up and what does a godfather yeah. do and what are some things he's capable of and what are the ugly th- things and what are the kind of noble things. And the the culture of being an Italian-American. It didn't feel like they were going for that here. 
Mm. It felt like they were going for these are just regular people, not trying to give us an insight into the, their culture, right? But more like give us an insight into these friends and how they're just regular dudes. You know, they're steel workers. They're in the Midwest. They're they're rep- a representative sample of America. But but another example of a scene that I think could have been cut is where the Green Beret, I think, mm-hmm. uh, shows up at the wedding. We don't know who he is or why <laughs> he's there. He's just drinking at the same open bar, and yeah. the guys are shipping off. Like, you know, this is their last hurrah before they go overseas to fight. And he comes in in his uniform, and they're trying to, like, buy him a drink and, you know, show respect. And mm-hmm. he clearly is over Vietnam, yep. which is interesting except for – you know, we as a movie-going audience in 1978 already felt a certain way about Vietnam. So it's like I felt like that was like supposed to be foreboding. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, look at this guy. and He's having none of your shit, and he yeah. thinks that you're a bunch of idiots. But, you know, that – I'm trying to decide – I don't know. I like it as foreshadowing. If this if this was about a fictional version of Vietnam, like if Vietnam didn't really happen and this mm-hmm. was just telling a story about this war and these guys are going off, that would tell us as the viewer that, oh, there is some dark side to this war, but that's context we already knew culturally. Mm-hmm. So you had like a roughly five-minute scene of this progressively belligerent uh, squaring off with this GI that's just there to drink that, again, doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, uh, you're right. In the context of, hey, everybody understands what Vietnam's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know that it was necessary. Like, I don't I don't think it was bad. It just wasn't necessary. Right. Um, and, and I feel like there's a lot of stuff in this movie what that's do you think like of that. John Cazale, because I know a lot of people were, you know, when we're talking about Matt, uh, not Mad Men, Godfather, and kind of how excited we are about that. Yeah. Um, you know, they're like, oh, you should see him in Deer Hunter. <laughs> so Deer Hunter was his final film, I believe. He was yeah. dying during the making, and he's clearly mm-hmm. – uh, all these kids are like – all these people are kind of more or less successfully passing his early 20s. And then this guy just looks old and beat and sick and gray, but he's essentially kind of a squirrely Fredo type. Yeah, I – honestly wasn't that impressed i mean when you're standing next to robert de niro and christopher walken right it's hard to be that impressed um but this guy stood next to marlon brando and al pacino and i i i was i found his performance stage though but i found his performance well he wasn't a center stage in this film either i I found his performance compelling and um you know pathetic in a like a pity pitiable or um Mm -hmm. you know sympathetic way yeah and this movie he's just a shit like I kind of am surprised that Robert De Niro didn't throw him off a cliff or shoot him in the face at certain points of this movie, especially after he got back from Vietnam. They went on that, you know, this this movie is also bookended by a deer hunt, mm-hmm. which thus its title. Sure. And there was that thing where they're talking about, uh, you know, De Niro's character Mike really, Boots. yeah, really believed in taking this seriously. Like he's got this almost Native American, uh, you know, or 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 spiritual hunter aspect of you you owe the deer a clean death one shot sure and then at the end of the movie and he he bags a deer at the end of the movie he lets a deer go shoots in the air and just yells okay clearly the war has changed his view on this mm-hmm. and i think you were left to wonder it's like well you know in vietnam it certainly wasn't one shot one kill it's just you know, spray bullets and drop napalm and bomb villages. And sure. there's, 
you know, flamethrowers and things like that. So, but there again, that's very broad on the nose point to make. I don't think it's necessarily deeper. It is. So this is a very different movie than we would get nowadays, I feel, in a lot of respects. I mean, A, everything is shot on location. Everything. There's not a single damn soundstage in this whole film. And you can tell, and it feels real. And it feels like you're actually there. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know... Like some of the points they make in older films are a little on the nose a lot of the sure. time. Yeah. They're not as subtle. They're more overt because they need to be because audiences aren't as educated uh, on the topics. So I can imagine like him saying, man, this is so point on. Everyone will get this. Mm. I mean, it's obvious that his distaste uh, for hunting deer comes directly from his experiences in Nam, of course, and with walking specifically. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I kind of forgive things like that when it's a little on the nose, especially with a 50 or 40 year old film, you know, do you what? So what do you think? Because there's a lot of controversy. It seems like especially modern controversy about how one dimensional and racist and evil the portrayal of the Vietnamese people were. Yeah. And, and, and thinking back, it's like, yes, all that is true. All <laughs> that is true. Um but if you're the first movie to be openly critical of this very unpopular war that America lost, it would be – that's already a fairly kind of brave thing to do or a risky thing to do from mm-hmm. a studio perspective, from a creator perspective to make – to add sh- further shades of gray between – you know to throw some platoon-like atrocities of American GIs um, and, and to make it more, a more nuanced view. I feel like that might have not even been filmable. So, like, yes, all that's true, <laughs> but it reflects kind of, like, the times. And, you know, I think we should it, – it's fine to feel uncomfortable about that now. And I can't even imagine what a Vietnamese person would think watching this movie. Sure. Um, and also, a lot of that stuff is just made up. Um, I feel like that there was a lot of genuine atrocities you could draw, but but to do, like, the uh, Russian roulette. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly that was – the first time the Russian roulette thing is played – it is really gut-wrenching. But every time they went back, I was honestly shocked because everyone says about, oh, the Russian roulette scene, Russian roulette scene. Yeah. Which one? Every time they went back to that well, the impact was less and less for me. I think until the very end. But like, even Walken very, sells it there. He sells it, but the whole time my brain is screaming, this guy's been a professional Russian roulette player <laughs> for, for potentially years. Mm-hmm. And he has survived up until this moment. When it's dramatically, you know, probable for him to die. I also, uh, my brain was screaming at the whole, like, Robert De Niro, hey, we need three bullets in this gun. Come on, three bullets. Which I'm like, okay, (laughs) this is good. It's going to be a high stakes, you know, he's going to grab the gun and he's got three bullets and Christopher Walken's going to help and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But then they put the gun to their head and squeezed at least twice. Yeah, once each. Sure. Why? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I think it's supposed to be like, well, you, you it, he has like a split second to make this escape. So like to, you know, have to pull and not know if you're going to shoot a guy. Could be three empty chambers lo- ready to go. Right. right. Now he's only got at least one he's got to contend with. But still, it's like the risk of ruin in that calculation is. It is. It's 50-50. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well on the first pull. For walking, it's 50-50. Yeah. Then on it's the first like pull, 65 something. Yeah. Yeah. So like. There's a lot of things where, like, if you just – it was hard for me to approach it just with, you know, taking the tail as they're telling me because I'm like, man, this just – and I guess that's how desperate they were. 
because you know if they sat and did yeah. nothing they were going to die anyway certainly so yeah and, and so i read roger ebert's review of this and i before i did i i had this image in in my mind i i had what i thought the film was trying to say in my head and it was basically these these are the effects of war on normal people yes um and, and there are a, a litany of various effects on these people right i mean some people lose their arms and legs and they come back and their family is devastated by it and so traumatized they can't even speak uh there are people who lose their minds there are people who come back and grit and bear their uh just bear it sure so i thought it was effective on that scale just showing how this affects the lives of everyday people i thought it was really good um the russian roulette scene is one where roger ebert says that this was the most horrifying scene in cinema ever conceived and i i i have to imagine that this film is a victim of time in some regards especially in that way because i don't know about you but i consider like saving private ryan and that scene in normandy on the beach much more affecting and much more horrifying sure uh i i think you know we have done things i just saw old boy last week Okay. I mean, it's a different kind of horrifying, but, but still, it is horrifying. I'd rather per- Russian roulette, honestly. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I can't help but feel that this movie is a victim of time. No, no, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and there's some movies like I've Godfather is kind of timeless, whereas yeah. this had I. It feels to me like this movie has an expiration date, where it had its maximum impact in this period of time, and now it's kind of like. Uh, you, so I've watched Citizen Kane, and everyone says mm-hmm. it's one of the great movies, and it's very it's it's essentially birthed a lot of modern cinematic movie take or movie techniques, um, and it's like the first kind of modern movie. But it is not super entertaining from a modern perspective. I know there's other people like you know, you're talking Roger Ebert. He famously had a workshop every year. He would invite like fifty to hundred people to screen this film, and they would stop it like every few seconds and just break down the scenes. And he did that for uh, 10, 15 years and never ran out of things to say, presumably, and it never got yeah. trite. So it's like, mm-hmm. you can certainly enjoy it for that. But is, is, is deer hunter a successfully entertaining modern movie? It doesn't feel like it. It needs to have Not at least 40 minutes cut of it to, 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 to pass that bar. I think you're right. Uh, and, and it, in some ways, it puzzles me why I don't feel the same way about Godfather. Well, let me. I want to read. Uh, uh, I want to read uh, Nikki P's um, kind of like setup for this movie. She goes, "I decided okay. on Deer Hunter after listening to your Godfather podcast. You were talking about De Niro and Pacino and have or how they have settled into doing less than their best. I remembered my shock when I saw a person I thought was basically a go-to celebrity oddball." Christopher Walken delivered this amazing <laughs> performance. De Niro is in it too, and they're both awesome. Yeah, and she has five other topics we want. To, we're going to return to here after we get done uh, with our kind of discussion of it. That I completely agree with. That's the thing. Like these performances, Christopher Walken. If all you've known him is from his Saturday Night Live performances or from the Rundown, yeah, any modern movie he's done, you know. But so that's different in like saying that he's still recognizably Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. like. Robert De Niro and Pacino, uh, if you look at them in Raging Bull, if you look at uh, Pacino in The Godfather, that's not the hoorah. And, uh, no, that's not. not they, they turned into parodies of themselves. And maybe Walken has too. I think he has. But a lot yeah. of those same ticks that he does in his parody version are in full force. And mm. his the way he, he talks is 
is is is the way he talks. Like I don't know what the it hell is. that accent is. A Russian Orthodox. <laughs> no, I, I have no idea. Uh yeah, but you know, it's it's a milder version of Christopher Walken. It's certainly not the caricature that he has become. Uh and it, that a lot of actors tend to become. And he plays this kind of happy go lucky, you know, drunken lout, uh, but fairly I mean of of all of all the guys in this film, and I gotta say, during that wedding phase. Oh, I love it, man. There was some method acting because the glassy eyed drunk. There is. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, gla- the glassy eyed drunk that they get to at some points in this film, I don't think you can simulate. Uh, yeah, they were pounding beers before the cut. Before had the to take. have been. Had to have been. But then you see him in that final scene. Yeah. And he's like the vampire version of himself. He's just haunted and he's been addicted to heroin for God knows how long. And mm-hmm. his mind is gone. Um, you know, when I first saw him and he didn't recognize Mike, I'm like, he's bitter because he thinks Mike forgot his promise. Um, probably could be some of that, but it's also the, but when he reaches, when he reaches to grab and you see all those track marks on his arm, you realize that he just could be gone. He could just be his, his mind is checked out. Yeah. He was, he was getting there before he even got into the roulette game. So and what do you yeah. think of so like but, I feel like I want to go back to the acting real quick because okay. I think the the beginning of this film the acting in it is stellar if they're not method acting um and I, I know that Robert De Niro spent a lot of time in the, in the Midwest with steel workers uh just getting acclimated to that lifestyle and stuff and then one of the guys um the, the guy who says fucking a all the time mm-hmm. he's actually a steel worker who has never acted in his life really and they thought he was such a character and so good that they put him in the film mm-hmm. uh so there was a lot of kind of method preparation mm-hmm. where they got into the lives of these people and i think that paid off in spades because i fully believe that these guys are who they pretend to be here sure yeah and there's a lot of really interesting pieces of work from a cinematography angle uh, the one that really sticks with me is at the end of the movie when Ro- uh, Robert De Niro's character, Michael, is doing like a last deer hunt mm-hmm. and he's walking alone along this mountain range and he triggers a landslide. Okay. And I wondered, like, was that an accident that they just decided to follow or did they stage and reset that multiple times or did he have to go and find a rock that he could accidentally set off? It was a really is a really cool thing. Like. Mm-hmm. It was felt authentic, almost like a wilderness documentary in a way that like if you said that see, see that same scene stage today, you would see that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There was some kind of charge set. And, and yeah, and, they might do a close up on something. And yeah, there's 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 authenticity in some of these scenes. Um, it, it, a lot of it has to do with the all location shoots. I think sure. that adds so much to it. Uh, and th- there was a lot of stuff that they left in this movie or did behind the scenes to add to the effect of it. Um, like for instance, that slapping stuff during the, the first Russian roulette scene where they're prisoners, that stuff was all real. And they didn't tell the actors that they were going to continuously slap them. And they started getting pissed off. And you can tell. You can, you can see it on their faces. Robert De Niro is like angry. And when he kind of laughs stuff off, I think that's really him laughing those slaps off. Yeah. Uh, it, it has an effect on the film and it comes through. Uh, I, I really like that stuff. The other one that I found in, in looking at trivia is at one point walking in the end scene, or it's not even the end scene in the movie. It's the it's end when, scene of Christopher Walken. It's when Michael goes back he's, and finds he, him in the Russian. He's room. trying to talk him into coming back Parlor. with him because that was the promise he made, not the, to to leave him behind. Yeah, and he spits right in his face, 
and if, if you know that that De Niro did not know that was coming, yeah, and you see that performance, you can see in his eyes like what the fuck, and like this <laughs> rage, and then like this is, but but like God damn it, this is working. I'm I gotta. Mm-hmm. That, keep it together for the camera because you'd never get another take at that. No, like that no, that no. that visceral performance. Sure, but that's that's not even acting. Like you know, no, it's not. Next lunch, Jim and I, I'm just gonna get up and slap you in the face. See how pissed you get. That's <laughs> like Jim's an amazing actor. No, you're just <laughs> no, I'm fucking pissed. <laughs> but uh, you know, there is some flashes of genius that Michael Samino, uh, uh, I think, is how you pronounce it. I think so. Samino yeah. shows here that I mean, again, this guy is like. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan, Shyamal, Shyamalan, good, sure, all of the above. M. Night Shy Guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's his career in Fast Forward. He had this one amazing <laughs> it's work the Wachowski of, brothers, right? of all-tier genius. That's another good example. Yeah, or brother and sister now. I don't, I don't even know. Right. Uh, and, and then it's, it's Lana, not Larry. And, and every, every work since then, like, he got that one brilliant Oscar-winning film, and yeah. everything else has been, like, the worst film ever made. And I think that's fascinating. Like, did it go to his head? If Deer Hunter was a more moderate art film success, I wonder if he would have continued to work on his craft and, like, paired – continued to to refine that diamond in the rough technique mm-hmm. um, until he had something that was really amazing or because he had that much success right up at the beginning um, if it kind of ruined him as a filmmaker. In the same way that yeah. um, M. Night – kind of got addicted to the twist mm-hmm. or as South Park says the twist. Yeah. That, that kind of that, that hook and having to come up with a bigger and better one got more and more ridiculous. I, I don't know. It's, I, I gotta see, I gotta see heaven's gate. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see that movie. Like people see put how it, it up, up there with Ishtar and Waterworld as this big Ugh. budget disaster of a film. Yikes. From someone that we should respect, like from people that, that that are quality craftsmen of 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 cinema. Yeah. Uh there's a lot more to talk about. Why don't we go into a couple of Nikki's points here? Things okay. That, things things that she wanted to talk about. Uh topics I'm interested in. She says the film's portrayal of the rural working class. Here it was not really cliched and as a person from a small town, I really appreciated how they captured things from that life. Yeah. There was some of that, but everything was a little larger than life for me. Like, for example, the insane game of chicken they played with the truck at the beginning. <laughs> like, I don't know anyone that does that. The hunting stuff and some of that, you know, that 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 dynamic of, like, being guys and you have this friend circle, but you always have one guy that maybe you shouldn't even be friends with anymore, and he's kind of fucking things up for everybody else, but... Yeah. But if you're the who asshole, was, who was that in this scenario? Was that fucking a guy or was no? That, that was John Cazale. That was Stan. That was his oh, name. Oh, right? okay. F- fucking it up from the perspective of like he's just kind of a fuck up. Not not like he's too crazy for the group. No, he's not too crazy. He's just fuck, okay. like he and and you, the, instead of he being seen as the dick, it's like the guy who calls him out is seen as the dick. Yeah. Robert De Niro's like fuck you. I'm not gonna loan you my boots. Like you never take this serious. This is serious shit. This is life and death, and you're an asshole. And now I'm the asshole because I pointed it out. I like that stuff, but some yeah. of the other things, like, uh, and man, some of the weird cultural things, like, what would you make of the crowns at the wedding and the procession? Like, I kept it's thinking stuff that I don't understand. Certainly, but. I kept on thinking, how do you keep your arm up that whole time? <laughs> I was are thinking you, that too. <laughs> are you allowed to switch hands? Probably because I, because you can't even touch it. 
Yeah. If, if you see, he's got like a tissue or a handkerchief or something. Yeah, because it's obviously some kind crown. of holy, you know, this is representing, yeah. I think, like literal like halos or their personal sovereignty within their marriage. I don't know. I'm not a. I'm not yeah, an orthodox Yeah, maybe some, some type of blood. I, I don't know, but... But that, yeah, it, sure. I was thinking the same thing. Those details are pretty cool, and I like the like the big dance circle with the kids just freestyling in the middle, and yeah. there's a lot of that. And you know, I'm from a small doing the, these Russian folk dances, or yeah, just yeah, yeah. hopping around on the ground, jumping into the air with the splits, and yeah, that's all fun to see. And I'm from a small town, but we didn't have this sense of community, and I kind of hmm. was wondering what that would be like. Like, you know, I'm not that type of person, but like. The fact that you just go to this big bash and like everyone in the community is there, whether you know them or not, and everybody's dancing and drinking and having a good time, it seems like it's really, really entertaining. But yeah, I feel like some of that is an artifact of the past as well. Like as we get more into the internet age where people are more and more disconnected from each other, right? Uh, physically, we start to lose a lot of that. Yeah. And that, that's just an artifact of, you know, the close knit community that these steel workers have together close-knit community of the Russian Orthodox Church. Like, all of that comes kind of comes together in the perfect storm of a wedding. Yeah, it's, it is weird, because I even remember growing up, like, you know, Mooresville had the old Settlers Fair, and that was, like, a big yeah. deal, like a big community thing where people would get together and meet their friends and all that stuff, and then it kind of became, like, just any other... Fa- I feel like everything is turning into that. People commercialize it, and then it, you know, like... I saw Old Settlers as a place to go get a caramel apple and ride rides, and then yeah. because that's all it was, and you can do that anywhere, it became less special. Well, now you have conventions popping up, right, where people will fly in from different communities to be part of but this niche community. also, like, I kind of feel like the golden age of the con is over, too. They're getting bigger and more commercial. Less fun. Certainly. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that's neither here nor there yeah, in yeah. this film. <laughs> um, point the second, the effects that wars can have on small towns without much opportunities. Joining the military yeah. is often out of the, uh, one of the few ways to make something of yourself. The military knows that, so they recruit heavily in these places, offering college educations and comparatively good salaries. But when we're at war, it can result in a disproportionate loss and other less tangible casualties for these small communities. True. And you see that, like... That's the other thing I was thinking, like, God damn, they made these big uh, Joseph Stalin style portraits of these guys hung up with like, you're our heroes. And it was like stars and stripes everywhere. Like people spent real money on this. The community spent real money on these weddings mm-hmm. uh, and the send off for the guys because it was kind of like a combination deal. That yeah, certainly two, is attractive. And, and two out of the three don't make it back. I mean, they make it back, but in ways that. Uh, you can argue aren't even themselves anymore. I mean, look at Stevie. Stevie is not himself. Yeah. Stevie can barely keep his shit together. Uh, I mean, he's got no legs. His, uh, one of his arms doesn't work. Apparently it's, he's it's, hiding out from his wife and child. And like, he's, yeah, his, his wife, wife is, is catatonic. Like that was what was really hard to watch her. Yeah. Uh, being bedridden <laughs> with grief and her son is out like, you know, playing on the bed and he's like four and kind of oblivious, but like, what's that going to be like in 10 years? Yeah. No, that, it's, it's bad that, news. That's the soul crushing part of this movie. Nothing good happens. Nothing good happens from like the 45 minute mark on. And it's just one, no. one sad, depressing thing after another, even when Mike and uh, what's Meryl Streep's character, Nikki you said, uh, no, Nikki is Christopher Walken. Uh, she, Shit, I don't remember her name. But it's, uh, when they get together for comfort, and she kind of has to almost beg him to to do it, it's Linda. It, it doesn't feel good. 
No. No, it does not. Um, it feels very sad and depressing. It's not satisfying in a way where you want to see these people together. It's, There's no healing that takes place? No. Um, it, it's almost like they they do it because they don't know what else to do. They're they're so racked by guilt and and just regret. And I mean, there's so much going on in Robert De Niro in this movie. Um, it's hard to parse it all out because he he provides a very stoic performance most of the time. Sure, especially when he goes back home, uh, he does not show a lot of what's going on in his head. But I think it's there on the screen if you watch closely enough. Well, I mean, yeah, they, they get his friends want to greet him as a hero. Yeah, and he He's, doesn't want that. He, yeah, I mean, after everything, he didn't, it didn't, nothing of his stuff felt heroic. It felt very no. animal mm-hmm. and like survival instinct. And the fact that he failed, you know, he's the only one that came whole. And, yeah. you know, if you add mental and emotional, there's probably not that even. So I thought that was, that was good. Sure. I mean, the, I don't know, the kind of more positive things that come out of this, there's, there's a message of friendship, uh, a message of, um, I mean that there, that connection to your community is definitely there. That that song at the end, I I don't know if we want to talk about this yet, but God bless America at the end is connecting these people in a very weird way, but in one that's meaningful. I think. Yeah, and honestly, that kind of what to to dig, that if that was missing, uh huh, this movie would be a lot less higher in my art because for something about that blew me away. It doesn't feel right, but it doesn't feel wrong either. No, I mean this like this movie ruined your you know uh, that. What's that song? That you're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love you, baby. What is the, what, is the what the hell is that thing called? It's Lauren Hill remade it. Fuck, I don't know the name of it. But that's the song. It, uh-huh. This movie's ruined it for me. This movie's this this movie's ruined that song for me. Um yeah. But yeah, the the and and can't I, take my eyes off you. There you go, Frankie Valley. The excesses I've accused this movie of. The singing the entire thing of God Bless America is arguably one of those excesses, but it really worked. It does, and I don't even know why, because I don't know I, what they're trying to say, but it's affecting and powerful. Because it's sad and mournful, but it's also yeah. kind of patriotic and hopeful, and it's not mm-hmm. done ironically or bitterly. No, or, it's a bittersweet note at the very end of this film that you know somehow what it is? pulls it all together. You know what it is? It's the mm. final, it's the final dinner scene in Godfather 2. Where Michael's sitting on the park bench overlooking the lake, and he reminisces. Uh huh. It's the, like that. Think how much worse Godfather Two would be without that scene if it just ended with Michael looking out over the lake. Yeah. You kind of get a sense of what they still have, what they have, how much they've lost, and what they still have in a song of they're just sitting in the bar singing that song it's amazing it's amazing i think the way angela comes around at the end too is one of the things that makes that work because you do get a sense of if even if they're not all happy and bad things have happened they will go on yeah they they will continue to be useful people like actual human beings that not all is lost uh it's it's very bittersweet yeah and that, like you said, that's the thing that really just makes the ending of this film. But I but mean, I, it's exactly the same kind of thing that doesn't work in so many other places in the film. That's true. So that's true. <laughs> like for example, did we did we need ten minutes of the steel the steel factory in the beginning? Like 
you, you know that that it felt yeah. a lot like the Manos Hands of Fate. Like the first 15 minutes where there's driving through the country, I'm like, am I seeing the is this did I did I pop in the climax of the Terminator 2 or all the driving scenes? Are they the, are they the forging birdemic? are they yeah, are they <laughs> are they forging Wolverine skeleton in here? What the fuck is going on? Like yeah, yeah. that should have been like a 45 second credit sequence. But it just goes on and on forever. Yeah, I wonder if... So, I don't know that it's totally misplaced. I, it gave me a very keen sense of the tough jobs that these people have. They're wanting to unwind after work. Um, the 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 dangerous situation that they're in during work. Like, that and seems the camaraderie like a hellish, they would have. Like, a literally hellish yes. work environment. And And I felt like that served to in my mind, tie them more closely together to see that this is a community of guys who are putting their lives on the line basically every single day with Maybe each Vietnam other. wouldn't seem so bad if all day, every day, you're working with multiple thousand degree steel and... Yeah, until you get to the Russian roulette prison camp part. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, speaking of, uh, point the fourth Nikki makes, these underground betting things in third world countries were where really poor people engage in soul-crushing things because there's no other way to make any decent money. I wonder how much of that goes on mm. in a world where rich men take vacations in Asia to have sex with underage girls. People are still sold into slavery and prostitution, etc. I also contrast that with the American working class in the film and their struggles with this war, and I get lost in assigning values to their pain on a scale of relativity. It's tough. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... I don't know what else to say about that other than I, I think you're right. There, There is a lot of suffering... Uh, just how arbitrary that. the value of human life is like okay. it literally is like we act like human life has some intrinsic value mm-hmm. but that's only the value we assign it uh it's you know if you if you just look at a completely secular um worldview nothing means anything like that's a literally In the ultra true long term certainly yeah like if you look at the universe what does the universe give a shit about us um it doesn't no, it doesn't. And there's no mm-hmm. one. There is no witness to what we are doing here. Uh, of course, you know, if you if you're a religious person, that problem is neatly solved because there is a greater meaning and all that stuff. But yeah, you know, from my perspective, I think, and I feel like that makes it even more interesting that we still do place value on human life in the secular society. Okay, it's a, it's almost. Uh, I don't know. It, it's more. It, it seems more noble because no one is really telling us, and every and and against and everything. Point of evidence suggests that it has no value. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we do a lot of things that are kind of against the grain when it comes to the natural cycle of things. Um, sure. Some of those good, some of those bad, certainly. But I, yeah, I, it's interesting that they don't ever go back to the religion thing once Michael gets home. Uh, it seems to be off his radar, for the most part. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, people say there's no atheists in foxholes. That might be true in the moment, but it seems also that uh, warfare damages, uh, seems to have a corrosive effect on faith. I think any particularly traumatic experience would. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He's seen a lot of horrible shit. Sure. And I have to imagine that the movie is trying to have some kind of commentary on that, given how religion heavy it was at the beginning and how absent it is following the the vietnam trip she said uh point to five and she says her last one the film gave me a new appreciation for the mental and emotional trauma of war 
If I ever made it out of a situation like that, I have no doubt that I would need to be committed. <laughs> I don't know how people pull themselves back into civilian life with the shitty reentry counseling we have. Two of my cousins served in Iraq, and I remember being shocked by how little therapy and readjustment the military gave them before sending them back into regular life. Uh, yeah, and that's – however bad things are now, they were worse back then, and yeah. they were worse in World War One and – or World War Two. they were worse in World War One and <sighs> like – you know, they and the days it was literally non-existent in World War One. Like any war before that, no one gave a shit. Like you're done fighting. Yeah, it's over. Man, World War One has like ruined me on wars. Period. Yeah, like the hellscape that that thing became. I I don't even know how to. I, I can't even conceive. I'm like Ebert. I cannot conceive of a more horrifying scene than World War One. Yeah. And so when I when I think about you know this war in particular and the things I'm shown. I'm like, yes, atrocities were committed. It was a terrible situation, but it was no World War I. Uh, it wasn't as sustained. It wasn't as intensely brutal and horrifying. Uh, the loss of life was nowhere near the same. I, I don't feel like it was as catastrophic as World War I. Uh, it was more politically... Uh, it, it was more politically problematic, certainly, and more controversial, but I... Man, World War I... It's just fucking, and maybe it's because I haven't heard the Dan Carlin version of Vietnam yet. But. Well, I mean, yeah, I've heard a lot of <laughs> shitty stories about Vietnam and Korean War that make it look. I mean, yeah. you know, again, is it mass scale of human misery that that some of the battles, like the Somme and Verdun no, and all not. that stuff, are? No, it's not. But you tell, you know, a Vietnamese. A child that lived through a napalming that, and you know they would write. Yeah, I would never say that. Right, right, right. What I'm saying is like I, I think there is a limit to horror where it's like the bar. It's like a roller coaster. Okay. If you're this hard to ride, like the mental effects are, are essentially the same. Yeah, like if you are beat by someone um, to a certain level, once you get beat to a certain extent, it doesn't matter how much more you got beat. You know, like sure. the trauma to your psyche as a human and to your dignity as a human kind of maxes out. There's not a high score. But I mean, even in film. So I'm. But that's. But, but to, to your political point, that's what's interesting about the Vietnam War that yeah. arguably the first time these guys come home and instead of being greeted as heroes, mm -hmm. they're getting spit on. They're being called baby killers. Yeah. There's not a lot of home support. So arguably, you know, at least the World War One vets went home, the ones that did, and they were shown respect um mm -hmm. by the people that are greeting them whereas yeah, it's a lot of that was missing on the vietnam and it's not the soldier's fault no that's the thing it's like the the one uh you know the the, the big negative from the protest culture is they were not very dis, you know ironically discriminate in the targets that they chose yeah um you know they had equal scorn for the people going over there versus and i guess you know an argument could be made well maybe you shouldn't go over there maybe you should flee to canada or maybe you should go to jail or whatever but mm. you know when you're 18 year old kid that's a hard argument to make oh yeah absolutely <laughs> you know i mean that's kind of interesting seeing that play out in Mad Men right now with mm. uh glenn but yeah uh, i mean like i said before I, I think you know this is this movie is a victim of time in a lot of ways and I've seen more horrifying things. I've seen more traumatic things happen on film uh, since then. And, and I can imagine it's very different if you were watching this in 1978 versus 2015. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, you know, people say The Exorcist was the most terrifying movie ever made. Sure. At the time, At maybe. the time, sure. But yeah. it's like, you know, we keep uh, – th there is a high score to be set in fictionalized versions of atrocity apparently because yeah. – 
uh, certainly it it doesn't hold up. What else we want to talk about? I want to talk about the one performance I didn't like. Okay, How about that? Okay, sure. I don't want to end on a sour the, note the, here. The, the nun in combat God boots. bless America when we're done. The nun in combat boots just didn't work for me. <laughs> no, no, no. It was actually Stevie. I I felt like he was a little over the top. Yeah, he was not in the same league. It, he it felt like he was trying to be, but he was. Yeah, he was just outclassed by Walken and De Niro, who are a little more silent and restrained and interesting, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, I, I just wasn't into his performance much. Yeah. From from him being, you know, imprisoned and fearing for his life and kind of losing his mind to We've him s- having his legs amputated and just, I, I felt like the damage he was portraying was a little too intense no like I, i'm thinking you you mentioned um saving private ryan and like i'll throw a band of brothers i've seen <laughs> five better performances of a man just completely broken by fear yeah in a combat situation than that performance whereas i can't really say the same about christopher walken no. like christopher walken's haunted middle distance stare and just you know dead-eyed look is still pretty high still pretty high up there for it that is. type of performance, but I've seen dozens of better versions of that character in in in, in films. So yeah, it's, it's TV, it doesn't yeah. hold up. Okay, I, I wasn't sure if you'd agree with me on that, but no, totally. And honestly, right. um, you know, if this indeed was Meryl Streep's first role, it's just a shadow of what she's what, what her potential is. Yeah, I'm they with don't you. give her a lot of things to do, and the things they do give her to do have her do are kind of puzzling. And it, that's the other thing. It's like there's a lot of – I had a hard time getting behind people's motivations and why they were doing the things they were doing mm-hmm. um, because I don't think the movie really cared about that. The movie was trying to get us to feel and think about a certain way and how well everything strung together didn't I – don't, I don't think the director cared as much about. No, I felt like anytime someone maybe approached him and said, what's my motivation? Uh-huh. He was like – the war you're traumatized right no let me slap you here's your motivation <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. spit a loogie in the face there's your motivation which yeah you know it worked he just appear in robert's Neo's trailer and spit in his face from time to time <laughs> here's your motivation <laughs> robert you're on set in four <laughs> <laughs> so much loogies you fucker the loogie budget on this film alone uh-huh yeah uh, yeah what else uh, what do you think of the one shot Tie in with the Russian roulette thing at the end. One shot tie in. What are you talking about? We're at the very, like Christopher Walker's uh, Walken's last words were one shot and like a creepy, like he kind ah. of, I, I, it seemed like Roger Ebert in his review thought that that was him finally remembering who he was and that he was going to pull the trigger one more time and go home with Michael. Oh, really? I did not get that. I got that like, you're right, one shot, and he was just going to, that was his life, one shot at a time. But it was That's com- how I felt, too, yeah. And it was a complete perversion of that philosophy, mm-hmm. like, you know, a quick, clean death. Yeah, the respect you have for life. Minimum is... trauma and all that. This was like the opposite of that. Oh, I very much felt that, too, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, not not often I take issue with the great man, but... I, I didn't well, I mean, in his review, he says that you can read this a multitude of ways, and that I do agree with. True. I think there are many messages embedded, especially within that God Bless America at the end, that you can take out of it, and you are suppo- you're encouraged to do that. And I don't think that is a definitive answer of any kind at the end. And, and that works as a 
as a finale too. You know, these people don't have answers. These people don't have an idea of what comes next. Mm -hmm. They're just going to live it day by day Mm -hmm. uh, with the horrors that they've experienced. So I don't know. I don't think there's any reading really that's wrong here, Uh, but I certainly read it one way. (laughs) No, the, the movie did take me by surprise about how somber it was because like 40 minutes into the film, I thought we'd spend a lot of time joking about Robert De Niro's dick. And it hasn't even come oh, up in conversation. Oh, yeah, when, when he streaks. Yeah, I totally forgot about Massive that. 70s De Niro Bush from Floppin' uh-huh. Dong. Uh, why not? Why not? But, like, yeah, it hasn't, you know, it's only come up in me saying that that's inappropriate to discuss in a movie like this. <laughs> sure. Not a very funny movie. Nope. Not. Some I, spots, there's a little chuckle. I chuckled a little bit at the beginning. kind of funny sometimes. I chuckled a little bit at the beginning. But, again, like, after that first act, there is no mirth. There is no light. There is no sunshine in this movie. So let me ask you this. There are a couple of moments where... And and before I move on, I yeah. think it would have been more effective had we had a little bit of catharsis, release, tension. There was no, 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 no. no let up. Definitely not. Um, okay, I have a question about blessings and curses in this film. Because the the wedding has a scene where they are drinking from a dual cup. Oh, God. Both the bride and the groom. Okay, and the the priest says it's if you drink it without spilling a drop, it's good luck, and they spill a drop on her dress. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Before that, Robert De Niro has looked up at the sun and he says, "Oh, sun dogs." And he's there's some anomaly with the sun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he says that's a blessing of the hunter um, mm-hmm. on her children or something like that. His uh-huh. children. Uh, what do you make of those? Because honestly, I. I felt like the dress thing was too on the nose and the sundogs thing was not on the nose enough. I felt like they were both kind of misused a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure what you would do instead of the dress because like there was something about it, like the insert shot itself and the slow-mo of it. And yeah, like does that mean that does that mean that those they offset each other? Does it mean, mean that religion is... Well, Robert De Niro is the one who sees the, the sun dog. Yeah. And he does come back. He makes sure. it out of that situation alive and as unharmed as you can be, probably. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Stevie has his legs amputated and he's in a wheelchair. Uh, bad news for Stevie. He definitely mm-hmm. does not have good luck. Neither does Angela. Mm-hmm. I I felt like that one was a little on the nose. And, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe the sun dogs is, too. You know, blessing for the hunter, and he is the deer hunter, and mm-hmm. I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. I I thought there would be more to the deer hunter aspect in Vietnam too. Yeah, not but like he would be a sniper or something, and there'd be some wrestling with that one shot one kill philosophy. Nope. In fact, the whole transition to Vietnam was shocking to me. It was. It was a literal a field. Sma- it was literal smash cut to like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, my God. They just grenaded that whole pit full of children. And there's napalm dropping from the sky and armies running across. Like, and, and like in the background of one random scene, uh, there was dudes hanging off of the landing gear of helicopters, which then the next scene, Robert De Niro and all them do their little hanging off the landing gears of helicopter. And it's just like a lot of stuff just didn't make sense. There's no narrative logical sense to it. I expected to spend a lot more time in is, in the war. Yeah. Um, maybe some events getting up to it. Yeah, that smash cut. I mean, that could be seen as commentary in the meaningless of the war, period. Like no one understood why we, no one understood why we got in there, how we got in there, what we were doing there, and we're we didn't either. Yeah. We're just in it. Like there's no basic training montage. A lot of stuff that's like, you expect from a war film yeah. completely missing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Overall, 
I think it was uh, an okay movie that is saved by the performances of a couple of great actors. Yes. Um, if you did, if this, if this didn't have Walken and Streep and De Niro in it, particularly yeah. De Niro and Walken, as if I don't think this movie is regarded at all. And yeah, I thought like when when I saw it, I'm like, God damn, I can't believe this is a top twenty AFI film. And I've had, then I found a fifty four. I'm like, okay, well that that feels more appropriate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's I kind of feel like it's in 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 hundred great movie list, middle of the pack feels kind of appropriate. For but it. I bet it's one of those films that at the time was more important than it is now. Are you ever going to watch this film again? No. Same here. Nah. I have no desire to, exper- to to repeat this experience. I, I would – by the end of it, I'd be playing Russian roulette. I, I would be <laughs> Christopher Walken. I wonder if there's people that watch this the way we watch God – because that's the other thing is about The Godfather. I, I think I could – I'll probably clock that 100 times before I die. I could see that. And yeah. I will enjoy it each single time I watch it. This is the anti-God. This is the the <laughs> negative, the, the reverse suplex Godfather. <laughs> It has all the same beats, the same length, kind of similar three-act stuff, a lot of similar mm-hmm. even hero's journey, and a lot of similar kind of like despair. And But Godfather's entertaining. Deer Hunter doesn't give a shit about whether you're entertained or not. Yeah, I don't, I don't fact, know what perform- else to say about it. The I'm, sublime performances are used to torment you as a viewer. I'm glad I saw it. I yes. don't plan on watching it again. There you go. So thanks. Thanks for inflicting this on us, Nikki. Yeah, uh, very very appreciative of you commissioning a podcast. You are, uh, you, you you are helping us uh, keep on what we're doing here. Uh, if you would like to commission a podcast yourself, you can do so at club.baldmove.com. Uh, go to our cart there, and uh, you can uh, select it as an option. Put it in a cart and make us watch whatever you want us to watch, <laughs> and we will talk about it just like we did here. Yep. Uh, we're going to throw up a thread in the forums for this. So anybody who is listening, go in there. Cause I'm sure a lot of people have different opinions on this than we do. Oh, I mean, like I said, the top critics, like it's, yeah, it's a highly regarded film, but you can still see there's a lot of con it's controversial in a way that like Godfather, I don't think is, I know there are people that do not like Godfather. I didn't know that. Those are we, lunatics. I didn't know that until we did the <laughs> podcast and you know, I saw him post yeah. on Facebook and we got some emails. I'm like, huh, I guess they exist. Lot more, lot more controversy about what this film's place in the great films list is. Yeah, and I'd love to hear what our listeners think about this and and why you do really appreciate it or why you don't like it. Whatever, uh, I'm I'm excited to hear what people say about this one. I feel like it's like you know, the further and further away we get from Forrest Gump winning a Best Picture, okay. the more absurd that seems. Oh, for the Forrest Gump won a Best Picture. Yeah, especially since it beat like Casino and mm-hmm. a couple other like true like, or maybe it beat Goodfellas. Or it, I know it beat like one of those big Scorsese films and a mm-hmm. few others. Um, and I, I just wonder, like, if the way I feel about Deer Hunter, like, wow, this was the best movie of that year. I wonder if, like, you know, what other Oscar winners like Crash? I think another is uh, that's another one where people like will think less kindly of it as the years go by hmm. anyway yeah go to club.baldmove.com if you'd like to find out how to commission a podcast we love doing these we've got a murderer's row lineup coming up in the next few weeks some real good ones yeah so we're really excited to be talking about it and again thank you very much Nikki we couldn't do it without you 